In this edition of the Maximize Medicare Weekly, we've got COVID, we've got the hurricane, and in addition to that, a sneak peek at what I would expect for 2021. Let's get started. Welcome to the Maximize Your Medicare Weekly. Today, we've got a simulcast, meaning that this is going up on the podcast and on YouTube. So if you subscribe to one, be sure to go to the other where you can find a lot more resources. You know, the actual reality is the episodes aren't exactly the same. There may be a topic that you may find important to your individual situation. Anyway, I'm the author of this book, Maximize Your Medicare, for those people who are watching up on YouTube. And here are the couple of announcements we've got before we got get started. First is don't forget October 5th, the Medicare ABC's virtual event. It's not gonna be posted in recorded form online on YouTube, okay? So it's a one-time only deal. You do need to pre-register. I am very concerned that we're gonna run out of space because you know there are limits on the technology as far as you know these webcasting or webinar types of programs so pre-registration is required the session is free we're going to go through parts a through d as well as medigap medicare advantage well i guess that's part c in addition to that we're going to be talking about mistakes that people very very frequently make every single year so be sure to register october 5th the link is on the podcast text as well as below the video. Well, it's hurricane season and with it belongs, you know, tremendous disruption to people's lives. And I get all of that for persons on Medicare, people who are trying to enroll, you're first turning 65. Or, for example, you're trying to change plans due to the fact that you've lost employment. The fact of the matter is, whenever there's a FEMA event, okay, where there's a disaster being declared resulting from weather, such as hurricane, it can also occur from other things. COVID was one. In addition to that, when an earthquake strikes, you have a special enrollment period. Okay, you're going to have to have documentation to prove the fact that you lived in an area which is affected by the natural disaster. Nevertheless, it does allow you to enroll in Medicare late without penalties. So don't forget that. And this is the fact is that there are a lot of these special enrollment periods. And this is the reason for this little segment here, which is hurricanes are one of them. There can be others. What can they be? Your Medicare Advantage carrier, for whatever reason, fails, or for example, a plan is discontinued in your area. You move. There are a number of different side doors here. Now, I detail a lot of those side doors in Maximize Your Medicare. However, you can't capture them all. So the fact of the matter is you can send me emails. We have lots of people who do that saying, here's a special situation, something that my personal situation was affected by something beyond my control. The reality is, is that the rights and options under Medicare are largely 
in the buyer's favor. Don't forget that. It's a very important point that I make in the book, not taken advantage of nearly enough, which is that these rights and options are usually in the buyer's favor if you know what you're doing. For those persons affected by Hurricane Laura, the most topical, the most recent special situation, extraordinary situation where people, the disruption of lives shouldn't result in a disruption of your Medicare rights and options. In Saturday's New York Times, we've got the following article. Trump program to cover uninsured COVID-19 patients falls short of promise. I left the link in the podcast as well as below here on the video. The point of the article goes on to say, some patients are still receiving staggering bills. Others don't qualify because conditions other than COVID-19 were their primary diagnosis. Now, first of all, let me just say that I had no doubt that this is true. Okay, I have zero doubt whatsoever. It's a point that I made with Bob Powell on thestreet.com. I'm a guest you know, contributor multiple times a month on Retirement Daily. You can go to his podcast, you can see his website, and you can see my videos there. And I got asked to him about how is COVID-19 being handled for health insurance as well as for those people who are uninsured. And the two are kind of linked. And let me just point out, if we go to the article, and you can see it there on your screen for those people on YouTube, I'm going to read it out loud for those people on the podcast. Marilyn Cortez, a retired cafeteria worker in Houston with no health insurance, spent much of July in the hospital with COVID-19. When she finally returned home, she received a $36,000 bill that compounded the stress of her illness. Then someone from the hospital, Houston Methodist, called and told her not to worry. President Trump had paid it. But then another bill arrived for twice as much. Ms. Cortez Care is supposed to be covered under a program Mr. Trump announced this spring as the coronavirus pandemic was taking hold, a time when millions of people were losing their health insurance and the administration was doubling down on trying to dismantle the Affordable Care Act, the law that had expanded coverage to more than 20 million people, end quote. So this is all factually true, right, which is that there was supposed to be a program that covered the uninsured for COVID-19. Now, it's very important because it relates to health insurance, Medicare being a subset of health insurance. Okay? And it relates very directly to financial contracts. So you can understand my hashtag much more than Medicare. All right. It's a fundamental misunderstanding. Fundamental misunderstanding is that these are contracts, legal agreements. That means that there are definitions involved, definitions involved. And there's been a video that I created with, you know, a young child, 11-year-old Oscar, who's my nephew. And I went through him on a, you know, on a real-life situation or trying to give him a quiz on common misunderstandings. So the reality is, is that you need to understand what is actually defined. What is actually defined is what's covered, what isn't. And what happens is people gloss over definitions too easily. Okay, here's an example. Okay, let's flip a coin. No one said a coin looked like this. I just called it coin. 
what happens if the coin looked like this? In other words, the definition itself was different. What if it were currency, for example? You know, in other words, no one said that th this coin had to look like this even. It could have been, you know, looking like this. No one said this isn't a coin, right? In other words, what you may have thought was co a coin isn't really what was defined. And this is what's going on here. This is what's going on here, meaning that the measures that it were covered by the president in this, you know, kind of, you know, executive orders, meaning the uninsured would be covered for COVID-19. That's not necessarily wrong, right? And you can see it here. Someone from the hospital, Houston Method, caused, called and told her not to worry. President Trump had paid it. That's for the direct the direct cost of COVID-19 treatment, the direct. And that also explains the next sentence, which was, but then another bill arrived for twice as much. Meaning that the reason that this can happen is because if Ms. Cor Ms. Cortez had another condition and a complication which was made more difficult as a result of COVID-19, that is not necessarily what is covered. So the executive order may have covered the direct cost of COVID-19, but there would be a line in the sand and those lines in the sand once crossed still uninsured in Ms. Cortez's case. Now, does this happen all the time in health insurance. It does. It absolutely does. It is the reason that health insurance is so misunderstood. It's the reason that there's so much controversy around health insurance. Surprise medical bills. Okay. In and out, which is are the result of in and out of network situations. Right? Absolutely. Uh, under Medicare, observation status and skilled nursing facility care stay being covered under part a right which happened which means that basically people don't understand the definition right from the beginning and when you don't miss don't understand the definition right from the beginning you get surprised the carrier and let me just swerve here it is unlikely very unlikely that the carrier simply is imposing its own definition after the fact. It's unlikely. I didn't say it's impossible. I didn't say it's impossible. Short-term medical care, right? Short-term medical insurance, which is something that I dealt with in the last video. It's not junk, but one certain clause is the carrier has this wiggle room after, after the fact, something that I call retroactive underwriting you know, which leaves a bitter taste in my mouth as well. Absolutely. Right. Because financial contracts, you need to know what the terms and conditions are going in. From there, you can reduce the number of surprises. And you can see here from this New York Times article, it's a sliver. It's a simple example, but of a much, much larger problem when people misunderstand health insurance and under and health insurance being more broadly known 
as financial contracts. Misunderstanding of financial contracts is usually due to the fact that people misunderstand the terms themselves. You misapply. People misunderstand what the definition of coin is. Maybe doesn't look like this. Maybe instead looks like this. In which case, the outcomes can be very, very different. The next two segments are going to deal with what I think is going to occur in 2020. Meaning that, and we're going to start with the individual health insurance market. And in a word, as you saw from the introductory introduction on the screen, I think in a single word, the conclusion is going to be, it's going to be better. Now, in order to understand why I think it's going to be better, let's just take a look at what has actually occurred since the Affordable Care Act has been in full swing to now. First, number of people who have canceled is actually lower than what I would have thought. Meaning that if you had asked me two years ago what would have happened since the individual mandate was no longer, that I would have thought that those persons, Mr. Perfect, right, who didn't, who enrolled in health insurance, but didn't really use their health care because they're Mr. Perfect, they're not sick. Well, I would have thought that we would have had massive numbers of people on, you know, unenrolling, canceling their individual health insurance. But the reality is, for me, I don't think that actually really happened. Were there cancellations? Yes. I don't think there was any question about that, right? We can see in statistics that the number of uninsured is higher now than prior to when the individual mandate you know, existed. And that was to be anticipated, right? Because Mr. Imperfect, they all got out. They, they could have canceled. And in addition to that, those persons who bought health insurance and received the subsidy, even the subsidy subsidized amount was too high, candidly, for to fit in their monthly budget. So as a result, those persons may have canceled. So as a result, when you add those two together, what do you get? You get a higher number of uninsured. For me, that makes total intuitive sense. In fact, if anything, I would have said that the number of uninsured is actually smaller than what I would have anticipated. So that's the first part of this. The second and probably more in combination with this with the first point is number two, the carriers have gotten used to the market. Okay. And this is the most important thing here is people think that, oh, well, you know, health insurance companies, they're like making up the premiums or they're making up the numbers. Well, the Affordable Care Act does have certain boundaries. For example, a 64-year-old person can only be four times higher than the 25-year-old. 20, okay, that is, that's part of the structure of the Affordable Care Act. One that I don't like, by the way, which is, you know, for me, you're, I, I need every 25-year-old enrolled in health insurance, right, on average. But the reality is, is the health insurance carriers, these are the smart guys in the room. They understand now what the body of the people that they're insuring looks like and how they're behaving. In other words, how much they're using and, how, and for what reasons, what the costs are, right? And again, this has to do with other misunderstandings about financial contracts. 
right? Which is that insurance is an option. And here's the complicated formula up there on the screen. This is the option of a put call, just like from financial markets in the stock market. Okay. The reality is, is that once the calculators can understand how stuff is going to react, in other words, how the insured people are going to use their health insurance, they then know the cost of their claims or they can estimate their cost of claims. Therefore, the result is the premium. This is a very important fact, a very, very important fact, which is that premiums are the calculated result of anticipated costs, not the other way around, not the other way around. They're not just making up the premiums. I promise you that. Why? Because they fully understand that there's another carrier down the block in their same market, right? So you don't just get to jack up premiums like indiscriminately. Why? Because the carrier, the other smart guys in the room will just make the premium a little bit lower. In addition to that, there's something called the medical loss ratio, right? And the medical loss ratio means that the carriers have to spend 80 to 85% of all premiums collected on claims. So as a result, again, there are other boundaries here to prove the point, which is that the premium levels are not the calc are not just a random number, but rather they're the calculated result of how the insured population is actually filing for claims. So that's the second one. The third piece of evidence we have here is that carriers are entering the market. So multiple years ago, what ended up happening is when people had no idea how the numbers would work, they had no idea who was going to be buying health insurance, nor how they were going to actually use health insurance. You had carriers do the rational thing, which is get out, right? They just got out. So what ended up happening is certain locations only had one carrier. You can see stories like that, one carrier, two carriers. Well, guess what? As a result of the first two points that I brought up, right? The first two points I just brought up, as a result of that, the carriers knew how everything's gonna react. They knew who was gonna cancel, who didn't cancel. And as a result, they became more comfortable. As a result, they can then feel more comfortable to compete, which is what the consumer wants. More carriers, more sellers means competitive pressures. Competitive pressures mean lower premiums, okay? So there's your third reason. There's your third reason on why I think that 2021 will be better for the consumer. There's a fourth one, and it's a crazy one, which is that the pandemic has actually probably pushed down the healthcare usage. And we have evidence of this, and you see evidence of this in some other weird contorted ways. For example, you can see rural hospitals, rural, rural hospitals, you know, tongue twister there. Rural, I guess, is the tongue twisting word. But small town hospitals, there you go. Small town hospitals are suffering. Why? Elective surgeries declining. 
you know, other non-emergency medical care being eliminated. Telehealth, you know, meaning virtual appointments via Zoom, stuff like that, increasing. Those are driving down the costs. They're driving down the cost of healthcare and they're driving down the usage of healthcare services. Now, it's not all peaches and cream, right? Like I said, if you ask the primary care physicians, if you ask certain specialists, right, it's still, it's not a happy day, right? This period of lower usage means the hypochondriacs don't show up at the office. You know? So as a result, you know, their revenues have declined and creating a pinch. It's creating a pinch at many hospitals. So as a result, nevertheless, for the consumer of health insurance, that's another factor of why premiums can be looking better for you on average in 2021. I don't see any way around it. Medicare, Medicare Advantage, Medigap, ongoing one-way train to more competitive. Let's start with prescription drug plan. Okay. The most important change into 2021 is going to be the fact that insulin is going to be capped at $35 per month as copay. It's going to be very important for anyone who anyone actually on Medicare Part D plans to check. Because what's going to end up happening is the following. Is there going to be certain plans that are going to be highly advantaged as far as handling insulin? That said, for those persons who are on insulin, okay, you're going to want to get onto those plans. Absolutely. Right? And there are many different types of insulin. I understand that, different brand names, et cetera. You're going to want to see, because I don't think that what you're going to have is all of the brands being handled exactly the same. Then, in fact, you could have certain lower priced types of insulin even cheaper than the $35. We don't know yet. I won't know until October 1st. I'm not going to be able to share it with you until October 1st. That's a month away, which seems like a long time ago. You know, we both know that time, we all know that time is going to fly. Okay. So it's clear for the persons on insulin. What happens to about those persons without insulin who are not diabetic? Again, because of the fact that you're going to have be diverting some monies to those plans, what is going to end up happening, I believe, is that if you are not on insulin, that it, there can be situations where your premiums or copays could possibly even be lower going into 2021. That is entirely the, the case. Why? Because since insulin is such a high cost, high cost medication, and the carriers understand that all of those persons are going to basically going to be trying to go into those subset of plans which treat insulin at $35 a month. That means the rest of you aren't on insulin. 
meaning that your costs can be anticipated to be much lower. As a result, you're even more competitive. So nationwide, you know, the premium is going to be approximately what? 12, you can see the lowest premium in your location for Part D plans. It's going to be $12 odd, you know, somewhere in the 10 to $12, I want to say. $10, I believe, in certain locations. $12 for the most part across most of the nation. Don't be surprised to even to see even lower Part D premiums going into 2021. Now, that all said, the national average has already been reported, meaning that the standard, the average Part D plan will actually be more expensive in 2021. So we already know, you can see that I'm kind of working backwards here. The bottom line here is only is the same bottom line that I include in Maximize Your Medicare. You know, it's really the reason that I'm stunned that since this insurance is an option and the sellers are calculating, that means they're recalculating every year. That means the premiums and the coverage will change every year. This is only logical. As a result, you, the buyer, only get to be more advantage by checking every year. This year, since so many people are on insulin, I would expect a fair reshuffling of the deck. Okay? That means that you're going to want to check. So that's part D. For Medicare Advantage, I think... You know, again, number one, much like the individual market, even more competitive as new carriers enter locations. Okay. It's not a secret to the Medicare Advantage sellers. Approximately 20 million medic on Medicare Advantage plans. That's about a third of the market. The CEOs of Medicare Advantage carriers think that's going to 50. They're the ones with all the information. As a result, I doubt they're wrong. Okay. What does that mean? That means the sellers are highly motivated to win market share in your location. That's the only logical commercial explanation, right? You're I'm not I'm not reinventing anything here. I'm not giving you any heroic predictions here. I'm just using logical common sense, rational sense. Right, I'm a commercial person. If I were a commercial actor at one of these companies, this is how I'd react. I'm just connecting the dots for you. That means more carriers. What does that mean for existing carriers? We can expect them to sharpen the pencils again. Okay, so what does this mean? Does this mean more plans? The answer is very likely yes. Now, a couple of very important highlights here, which is, we're going to want to look at the annual out-of-pocket maximum on PPOs. This is very, this for me is the main battleground. Okay, this is my opinion. I'm going to put on the bottom of the, of the YouTube video, in my opinion. Okay, this is the battleground, which is that I think that the PPO market for Medicare Advantage is going to start taking over you see a gradual shift from HMO POS, which are a certain, why, let's call it HMO plus. 
you see these plans having open network where there's no referral, for example, even though it's an HMO, it's acting like a PPO. So what are they going to be competing on? They're going to be competing on annual out-of-pocket maximum. Okay, so for you, what does that mean? And this is back to, this is maybe a beginner's corner, which is once you hit the annual out-of-pocket maximum, their carrier pays 100% and you pay zero. What does this mean? The lower the annual out-of-pocket maximum, the better it is for the buyer. That's you. Okay, so as a result, under Medicare, because of the way that PPOs work, this is again, let's go to a refresher, right? Under Medicare Advantage PPO, any provider that accepts the federal Medicare card will accept the PPO. And you may get charged the out-of-network cost, but you will be covered and they will accept it. Now, I'm going to tell you a, a very distasteful fact which is that I have seen cases where the billing office is not competent and they tell the person, we don't take this plan. That's not true unless they don't take the federal Medicare card. Okay. And unfortunately, what I have to report to you is that eh, sometimes the billing offices may not exactly know what they're doing. Okay. Is that a battle you should fight? It absolutely is. It absolutely is. And if you are still getting pushback, remember there are appeals, there are grievances that you can file against healthcare providers if they're continuing to violate this. It's a federal rule. It's a federal rule. People don't fight with Uncle Sam, right, if they're totally in the wrong. The fact that a medical billing office doesn't know what they're doing, that candidly isn't your problem. That's theirs. Now, that doesn't mean that it makes it more comfortable for you as the patient, the patient advocate. I get that. But rest assured that it's not going to be the carrier. It's not going to be the carrier of the PPO, Medicare Advantage PPO, which is going, going to be denying you, right? It is because the billing office may not know what they are doing. And this is the really the common thing across Medicare. And, and, and reality is that once you know, like earlier in this podcast, early on this broadcast, you could hear it, which is that if these definitions are known, the carriers have rules and regulations, they're going to follow them, right? Think about it to yourself just for a moment. You're trying to sell to a market of 60 million people. And oh yeah, by the way, you need federal approval every single year. If you're the carrier and you're systematically denying the contract, your contractual obligation, you're going to have a business problem, right? And so as a result, the idea that the carrier is intentionally denying your specific incident not very likely. Just use your common sense, rational common sense. Some There must be some other explanation, and that can be it. I've seen it. I've seen this even when people bring up a Medigap card. 
I've seen this happen at certain medical practices. Back to the point about 2021. So I do expect the battleground and you can look out for lower out of pocket maximums because even in that incidence, right? It caps your financial exposure, even if you have a bad year from a healthcare perspective. The last point here under this is that for those special persons who are receiving dialysis, they have end stage renal disease. 2021 is that special year because prior to 2021, you could not necessarily enroll in a Medicare Advantage plan freely. You would have to have a special exception, complicated exception, doesn't apply to most people, okay? Something like only 10% of existing ESRD patients are on Medicare Advantage plans due to the exception. That means 90% right? 90% and 90% is going to be, you know, well over, you know, 400,000 number, 400,000 people in the U.S. You're going to be able to access Medicare Advantage plans, right? You're going to want to check, number one, whether or not the dialysis center is in network or out of network. And if out of network, you're going to want to make sure you are still can be covered the only way to do that is through a PPO. There's your insider hint for 2021 for this special set of persons. Now, maybe you're not, maybe you're not on dialysis. The reality is you probably know someone, either one degree of separation or two, that is. It's a difference here of thousands of dollars a year. And by thousands, I'm not talking about $1,000 a year. No, I'm talking four, five, $6,000 a year of financial betterment for that person coming into 2021 if they know about this new rule that Medicare Advantage plan carriers must accept you even if you have ESRD. When you add all these together, basically you can see it. There's entire, entirely more competition. That's the only logical conclusion. I'm going to end up with a final thing about Medigap. Because of these three facts, these three facts I told you about Medicare Advantage and Part D, it has been the conclusion of my book and especially the most recent edition. And it's been my conclusion when I have drawn or presented in public. The difference between Medicare Advantage and Medigap for the buyer is declining, right? Because look what's happening. Medicare Advantage, $0 premium, PPO. Medigap, you're 70 years old, $200 a month for Medigap. We're not talking about Florida. You're at a different digit. That's $300 a month, right? Certainly. But let's just call middle America. $200 a month, 70 years old, $2,400 a year in premium. And then the Part B deductible. And let's just use Plan G, the most popular plan for new, newly eligible Medicare persons. So if you do the math, $2,400 in premium plus Part D, let's call that $20, okay? So you're talking about $2,200 
So what, 2400 plus $200, $2,600 in total premium. Annual out-of-pocket maximum for Medigap, M Medicare Advantage, excuse me, now the subject of debate. I've seen $5,000. I would expect you to be able to find that depending on your location in 2021. As a result, what could be, and the reason I, I say that is that I've seen it in 2020 in isolated circumstances. I would expect that continue to be the point of competition. So as a result, now you can do the math and it's getting harder, right? Medigap again, 2,600 when I include part D. You have to pay that with certainty. Medicare Advantage, zero, but then you have nickels and dimes if you require healthcare services. The question is, is which one of those going to be worth it from the math of money perspective? In other words, so tighter, more competitive, there's your bottom line. So much so that Medigap carriers are going to be throwing in extra incentives. What are those going to be? Dental and vision discount, silver sneakers or discounts on healthcare, on health club memberships. In other words, don't be surprised if you see these add-ons being attached to Medigap. Not for, and not for extra cost, but at zero. We can expect that also as growing trends. In other words, we're going to have tighter competition, meaning that the choices available to enrollees is wider and superior. That's the inevitable result of 60, and I'm low at 60 million, 62 million Medicare enrollees, a train that just keeps rolling. All right, everybody, let's stop for today. I'm sure with all the information from today's podcast and broadcast, everyone's probably pretty exhausted. I know I am. Be sure, please like subscribe the video in this screen subscribe to the podcast on apple podcast spotify give us a five-star rating be sure to leave your comments questions if you've got your private questions jae at maximize your speak with you the next time